Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. How are you feeling? Yeah, how are you feeling? Because that's what we're talking about today on the podcast. Uh, feelings and not being afraid of them. And not being afraid to share them with other people. Because that can be a very scary thing. Rick Redondo is making, I believe, his podcast debut. He is a teacher at the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. He is a filmmaker, actor, and a pretty good musician. This is a talk he gave at our weekly Dharma gathering a couple weeks ago. Hey, visit our website, inmind.shambhala.org. You can see all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. In particular, uh, you can see on the homepage a link to our introductory meditation weekend, which is called Shambhala Training Weekend 1. It's the weekend of May 4th, and it's being led by David Perrin. Check it out. Okay, here is Rick Redondo. I was fortunate recently to uh, have seen a uh, talk. Well, first I saw the film... Shape of Water, but I was very fortunate to see Shape of Water at a screen before it opened uh, with Guillermo de Tormo there, del Toro there, the wonderful Mexican director who made the great film, which you should go see and I won't spoil. Um, and it was a pleasure and he's a wonderful man to listen to and he was interviewed and then in his interview at the end, the interviewer uh, asked him, do you have any uh, sort of parting wisdom that you can leave us with? He said, "What, like an old, like an old woman? I'm like an old woman. I, I get to have my wisdom, and then, and then that's it. And I wander off." And she said, "Well, you know, it's a mic drop moment for you." I said, "Okay." So uh, I'm going to read you what what he said. The end of what he said. It's kind of a long quote, but it's great. I think. We are in a moment that is incredibly dangerous for the entire planet, which is we have managed to, through a very insidious process, we've allowed ideology to separate us more and more and in our most intimate spaces. And it's created the most pernicious illusion that there is an us and a them, whatever that is creed, color, nationality, religion, and it's just an illusion. There is only us, a huge variety of us. I feel that we don't talk in emotional terms. We're so good at dissecting each other's opinions that it's impossible for us to agree on principles that may sustain us in the future. And that's why I make a fable because we talk about it in terms of abstract beauty and in terms of emotions. Because right now, the riskiest thing, the thing we are more afraid of to show in public is emotion. This is the thing we are most timid and scared to expose because it makes us vulnerable. So you know, there was a time when being an iconoclast was being punk. Well, the new punk or punk rock, is emotion. 
And then he dropped the mic. <laughs> and he said, go see my film. So there's a lot there. Uh, and I really, I was like, wow, right on. I saw that and I was like, I know what I'm going to talk about in a couple months. It's amazing when people that, you know, I'm a meditator and a Buddhist and have been so for a while. And it's amazing that when people with a very different background, I looked in his background, he's agnostic. It says that he was a Catholic, but he's not really into it. Not very religious. He's basically an anarchist. As far as it said, as far as his politics go. Um, but that he arrived at so many of the same kind of truths that meditation points to. And I guess the, the couple things I wanted to highlight from what he said was, uh, first of all, he talked about separation, separating us from them. There was a concept. So if if you looked at sort of what blocks contentment, he covered both the major things really, I think. Uh, you might say that the veils that block contentment are concepts or limited, limiting concepts, false concepts, like us and them, good and bad, black and white. Limiting concepts and emotions, emotions are the other block from contentment difficult emotions that we struggle with. We, in a way, we build a wall from ourselves. We build a wall between other people, even literally. <laughs> and we build a wall from ourselves. He said we, we separate ourselves from each other and ourselves in our most intimate spaces. And this is the wall of concept and emotion. We fear emotions, and he, he, he tapped into that. We're the most afraid of being exposed, of being vulnerable. We fear what's our sadness, our softness, our humanness. We fear that. We may fear other emotions as well. Some of us might fear, fear anger. Some of us might fear lust. Some of us might fear jealousy or pride, but we fear we fear this emotions and we fear this vulnerability. And finally, I think what was great was when he talked about, you know, at the end that that was the title of my talk too, that is punk rock, is, is vulnerability the new punk rock? Well, he said iconoclasts used to be punk. Well, iconoclast means somebody that uh, uh, changing institutions or going after institutions, hopefully institutions that should be changed. And, uh, you know, punk, punk rock, if you remember that. I'm not sure if people are all into punk rock or not, but uh, I liked it. It wasn't my main genre, but I liked it. Um, punk rock was about, uh, first of all, uh, authentic expressions of feeling, People who weren't feeling sort of happy and love, and they were feeling uh, in difficult times. A lot of this came in England, a lot of economic struggle. They were feeling uh, uh, economic problems. They were feeling inequality, racial, sexual inequality. They were feeling all kinds of difficult 
problems like we feel now. And they were expressing them at least authentically. And the main expression was probably in terms of anger and loudness and outrage, but at least they were, it was authentic. They weren't just smiling and pretending like everything was hunky-dory. But this, this was in that time very uh, radical, radical way to express yourself. People were afraid of punk rockers. People thought Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten in England that they were going to destroy the world or I don't know. They had safety pins and all kinds of crazy things and they were so frightening. I mean, now if you look at them, they seem kind of funny. I actually usually kind of find them sort of humorous <laughs> more than anything. But uh, And to some people, they, it, this expression of emotion, anger, even if it was authentic, it seemed almost sort of monstrous to, to, to many. But it was an effective way to kind of communicate, especially back then. It was a new form of communication and it got through. It did help people to see some uh, emotional political, uh, sexual tensions and problems that were going on. And there was a way to communicate that. And at the time, it was a way to, to, to sort of be cool. I'd say it was a way of being cool, too. And of course, what he's saying, what Guillermo is saying, is that the new way to break through, the new way to cut through, is not to scream, is not to shout, but it's to be soft. It's to have an open heart. It's to tell a story of beauty and love. That's the hard thing. To, it's to feel. That's what will make you stick out. That is what will make change nowadays. That's what's hip and cool. It's very interesting. And I'm going to talk uh, more about it. We'll go through all of it. So, um, how do we break down these walls, these barriers that we put up between ourselves and others? How do we do that? Uh, I guess I need to lay a little groundwork, maybe, then, for how we work with mind and emotion in meditation. Uh, first of all, what's mind? Um, well, I guess a simple way to talk about what mind is, is... We say mind is what's uh, clear and, and knowing and open. Simple. Expansive. So our minds are clear and open and, and they know. And thoughts, many of us think our minds are our thoughts. That's typically in the Western viewpoint is our minds are our thoughts. That's what my mind is. Good thoughts, good mind. Bad thoughts, bad mind. Confused thoughts, confused mind. But we say, well, the mind is, is, is bigger than that. We see that in meditation. We can notice the thoughts come and we can notice them go. So our mind is more clear and open like the sky. And the thoughts are just like clouds popping up. They're just the activity of mind. They're good. They can be powerful and interesting or they can be frustrating and difficult. But they're just the activity of mind, thoughts. Emotion. Well, what's emotion? Well, motion is thoughts plus energy. Sort of juiced up thoughts. Thoughts on steroids. Um, thoughts with plus energy. So there's sort of a two components in the emotion. And, uh, you know, the thoughts... The, the, you could think of it as uh, 
the energy portion is sort of supposed to be sort of like clear water again clear sort of like mind the energy portion of emotion and then we color it with our thoughts it might be red for anger it might be green for jealousy might be blue for boredom, I don't know, but we, we have certain th uh, thought patterns that cloud the energy. But with meditation, we're very good at sort of separating thoughts out, letting thoughts go. And we sort of learn to access the energy underneath. And it's, the energy is actually clear and open, just like water, and good. So this is sort of the viewpoint of how we could work, learn to work with powerful emotions that there are thoughts and energy, and if we, we remove the pigment and the dye of the thoughts, then we can start to get it just a clear, open energy that can change and shift, just like water can be changed and shifted into different glasses and containers, forms. So then we get, with that background, to uh, more specifics about emotions. Now, some emotions are pleasant and enjoyable. We might feel love, we might feel humor, laughter. We might feel there's many positive emotions that we feel. But yet there's also many emotions that are difficult emotions, that cause us discontent, that make us unhappy or unsettled or nervous. What are some emotions that people struggle with or cause them discontent? Anybody? Jealousy. Jealousy. That's a good one. I deal with that one a lot too. It's, I didn't used to think I did, but it's more than I realized. Yeah, it's a good one. Anybody else? Anxiety. Anxiety. Good. Yes. It's a powerful emotion. Sort of like fear, similar to fear. Good. Guilt. Good. The complex emotion. Thank you. I feel that one too sometimes. Anxiety I definitely feel <laughs> frequently. Anybody else? Insecurity. Hmm. That's good too, yeah. Sort of like sort of like anxiety, I guess, a little bit. Nervousness. Not sure if you Anger, okay, good. That's a good one. It's a powerful one. Anger. Sadness. That's a good one too. It's interesting. Now is that then that's the sadness is bothersome? Like it, it's it can ah interesting. Can be. Yes. Sadness is an interesting one from the meditative perspective. Sometimes it might feel like depression. You might say, Oh, there's something wrong with me. Things that never go, you know, you could turn it into this thing about yourself. Sometimes sadness can actually be sort of open and just soft. Like crying at a funeral, or not actually not at a funeral, that's not a good one. Crying at a wedding. Crying at a wedding. You cry, you're sad, but you're happy at the same time. It's not really the sadness and happiness mixed together. So sort of a soft sadness. So. Sadness is an interesting one. It, it, it can definitely be one that we struggle with, and many of us don't want to deal with sadness at all. And yet, interestingly enough, we'll come back to sadness. Sadness could actually be a really um, 
open and positive quality too. Anybody else? Any other emotion you struggle with? Shame. Shame. It's a powerful one. It's similar to guilt. Disappointment. Desire. It's a good one, yes. It's different. Sometimes people think of desire as good. Like as, it feels good. That's, I feel good. But it's interesting. I, I uh, help lead the recovery program. So people in recovery know that too much desire is a problem. And it's interesting because if you think about desire, desire is like, I'll be happy when I get that, whatever that is, a drink or a new camera or a new house or a car or a better relationship or whatever it is. I'll be happy when. So it's interesting because you have this object of desire, but the second your mind glimpses into that, the now becomes not so good. Now you're suddenly saying, now isn't so good. It can only be good if when, when that happens. You've actually shut yourself away from now and you've actually taken contentment away. Good. Anybody else? We've covered pretty much most of the classic uh, negative emotions. Indifference is sometimes talked about or ignorance. Sometimes just being aloof. I, I don't care. No, I don't care. But when people say that, they usually do care. It's usually kind of a way to try to avoid a situation. Yeah, I don't care. Whatever. So the term for these uh, emotions, uh, meditative term is called klesha. These difficult emotions. Klesha means uh, K-L-E-S-H-A. And it's an afflictive emotion, painful emotion, emotion that causes stress. And... There's a few things about these clashes. A, they tend to steal our contentment away from us. B, there's also a sense of losing control. I think many of us fear the emotions because of that, clashes. They feel losing control. If you get angry, it's just like, boom, you know, someone says something and you're just in a rage all of a sudden. You just, you just, and you, you, you it's like taking you for a ride. Instead of you riding the horse in your mind, the, the, the motion is taking you for a drag. You're like an old cowboy movie. You're being dragged by your motion around, and you're just going for a ride. We fear the, that's part of the reason why we fear these kinds of motions because of loss of control. It feels overwhelming. And. That loss of control, and also we, we're angry at ourselves for having these emotions many times too. We feel there's, we're doing something wrong. This always happens to me. Somehow I'm at fault for that, or the, or the other person's really at fault. But there's some, there, there, we feel stuck, we feel trapped. And something, something or something's wrong. Either someone else or something's got to go, or I'm, I'm really messed up. So there's a lot going on and why we, why, why we have such a hard time with some emotions. And for us, everyone's different. Some people really don't have a problem with anger. They, anger is fine to express, but sadness, oh, no, 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 no. Don't want to go near that with a 10-foot pole. A lot of men are probably like that. Um, 
some people might be not have much issues with jealousy, but they might have tremendous issues with desire. We're all going to have different relationships to different emotions, but it's the same process. Um, and in a way, these negative emotions that we, we, we want to keep at distance, that separate us from ourselves, in a way, they've they almost become like a monster. Guillermo del Toro usually has a monster in his film, you know, and so there's this bull, the monster, and you, you, you either want to, you know, run away from the monster or you want to, but it's a monster and you just, you don't want to deal with the monster. It's scary. But it's important to deal with these monsters of emotions. I'm going to read a little bit from Trump Rinpoche on the subject. He says that a problem arises when we tend to become too ambitious in terms of dealing with emotions, particularly those involved with the spiritual practice. We've been told to be kind, gentle, good people. Those are the conventional ideals of spirituality. But when we, when we begin to find the spiky quality of ourselves, we see it as anti-spirituality and we push it away. That's the biggest mistake of all in working with our basic psychological patterns. So we see the monster, but we'd rather just pretend, oh, I know, I don't get mad. Most people smile, and then they get mad, they smile, you know. He smiles, it's not happening. They smile and they walk away and you know, it's just not happening. And you try to take the monster and put it away, but it doesn't go away. That's not the meditative path. Got a lot of sheets here. So the contentment approach, the meditative approach to working with emotion is to take the wall away. To work on saying, you know, just like in Guillermo's films, there's a monster and some people want to run away and some people want to do battle with it. But ultimately we got, we got to take the wall away and we got to be willing to come and meet it. We've got to be willing to sit down and shake hands with the little monster. So we have to, and the process really involves awareness. You have to become aware. Okay, I'm angry. I could either keep blaming that person forever, or blame myself, or I could try to avoid the whole situation. But you know what? It's my mind. It's my energy. I'm holding on to it. It's my discontent. I need to work with this. I need to take a look at this. I need to face my little monster. So it starts with awareness and a willingness to say, okay, I'm stuck in whatever emotion that might be. So I'm going to use anger a lot because I think everybody can usually relate and it's a very powerful emotion, but at the same time, you can, this technique is the same regardless of what emotion you're working with. So what do you do then? How do you, now that you've identified that you're stuck, what do you do about it? How do you, how do you work with it? Well, the meditative, um, approach is uh, 
Well, it's neither of the two sort of that I've alluded to. The two I've alluded to are normal kind of path is either uh, to escape the monster, run away, or hide it in the closet. Nothing going on here. That happens in some of Guillermo's movies too. They sort of hide the monster. No, it's nothing unusual here. I'm just not angry. No, everything's fine. We usually hide or, you know, we try to, that's called suppressing the emotion, avoiding. The other way that we often act with emotion is to act it out. So we're angry and we're going to act out that emotion, that anger. We're going to yell at the person that we're mad at or we're going to not say anything but walk away, you know, and huff. It could involve actions, could, be, could involve words. Could even be, we don't even do either of those things, but we just continue the story in our mind. Maybe we don't do or say anything, but we just keep stewing on it. Like, oh, that so-and-so, they did this and that. We just keep stewing on it. These are all ways of acting out the emotion. And Sometimes people think that they're venting the emotion, they're getting it out, and maybe they are. Maybe they're expressing themselves and getting out. But many people, when they're venting, you noticed, I've known a few people who vent, and they, they seem to vent a lot. And, and instead of maybe getting out, maybe you're just practicing it and getting really good at it. That might have been one of the issues with some of the punk rockers, I'm not sure. But um, So what do we do? We do neither of those. We neither act out nor suppress. And the beautiful part is that meditation is really exactly how we work with the emotion. So when you sit, an emotion comes up, first of all, you don't act it out. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you're just sitting. You're not moving, so you're not physically acting anything out. You're not gonna yell or get up or send an email or a text or something. So you're not acting out physically. You're also, uh, not acting out mentally because you start to let go of the thoughts, so the angry thoughts, the thoughts that are st you're stuck in your head. You let those thoughts go. You can label thinking if you want. You come back. So we don't act it out. Yet we're not suppressing it either. We're not hiding from it either. The way we do that is that, well, we don't allow ourselves an escape route. We don't allow ourselves to start thinking about something else. Well, now, since I'm not thinking about my anger, I'm going to think about you know, the ice cream I'm going to get later, or I'm going to think about the beer coming up, or I'm going to think about something pleasant. We're not doing that either. We're letting whatever thoughts come up go. So we're not suppressing, we're staying, and we're feeling. And we start to feel what's going on underneath. We feel the energy in our body. So we let the thoughts go, we, and then by simply feeling the energy, feeling what's going on without the thoughts, without all the chatter, without all the like echo box, where we sort of reverberate the whole thing over and over in our heads. What's going on outside of all those stories? What's, where is the energy in my body? We, get a, we start to look at that. Where am I really at? And we start to feel what's underneath all that habit, all those thoughts, all that pattern. What's underneath? Can I feel where the energy is in my body? Is my back tight? Does that energy have a shape or a color? Is it shifting or changing? My jaw tense? Where, how does it feel in my body? We keep coming back to the, 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 the energy, the clear water I mentioned. And we become intimate 
with what's really going on. Guillermo mentioned that we're, we, the wall separates us from our most intimate spaces, and this may be the most intimate space of them all. How do I really feel underneath all that? And we sit with that for as long as we need to, and then when we're ready, we can simply let it all go and come back to the breathing. So that's the basic meditative technique. We don't act out, we don't suppress, we sort of see what's going on underneath all the chatter and all the habit and all the drama. What's underneath all that? Where am I really at? It's like we get intimate with ourselves. It's like we bring the monster in and we, we really breathe it in and we see what's happening. And then we let it all go. I mean, strangely, I, I mean, being female for one and having grown up in an environment that like basically nurtured me to feel everything, I didn't realize that I was afraid of being sad. But it's just interesting because sometimes the anger is meant to be like the tough part. Like it, I remember hearing something that um, Trungpa Rinpoche said about emotions in their purest form, that anger sometimes, without all the story, without the layering, that it could translate into discernment, that it could protect you. So it's just sort of about navigating. It is interesting that there could be sadness under it, but, you know, anger probably does serve some kind of function when it's experienced with clarity. These emotions, they're like a way, they're like a, a trail of breadcrumbs. If you follow them, they're like a trail of breadcrumbs left to get you, lead you right to your heart. It'll, that anger or any of these strong emotions, every time I do these when I'm feeling some kind of strong emotion and I actually work it through, I almost always end up with some kind of rawness, some kind of sadness. But that's really what's going on underneath all that. And it's actually really beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so we got a glimpse or taste of working this practice. What, what then can happen? You know, how do we go about this? It's quite a task, you know, <laughs> to work with the emotional wall. And I'm going to read a little bit about what Trump Rinpoche had to say about uh, working with the emotional wall. We don't have to wait for situations which are regarded as big or meaningful for us. We should make use of even the small situations in which these emotions occur. We should work on the small or minor irritations and, this particular, and their particular emotional qualities. Do not suppress or let go of irritations, but become part of them. Feel their abstract qualities. The, ir the irritation then has no one to irritate. They might fade away or become creative energy. If we are able to work brick by brick with those smaller, seemingly insignificant emotions, at some point we will find that removing each brick has taken away the whole wall. So the wall can be taken down the wall between ourselves and the monster, 
whether the monsters are Mexicans or men or the rich or ourselves, our own emotions, our own inadequacies, our guilt, our shame. The wall can be taken down. And it's just done brick by brick, time by time. And if you look in Guillermo's films, what you'll usually see is the monster is always good. When you get to know the monster, the monster is always good. That's not really a spoiler. <laughs> and we feel vulnerable. There's that vulnerable experience. I think it's sort of like a softness on us that we think is bad to feel that vulnerable. But Guillermo said we need that. It's like a pigeon's heart. I remember years ago, uh, back when I was sort of pre-meditative days, younger man, and uh, you know, do my best, but probably a fairly angry fella. And I had a cat, and I lived in Chicago, and one day the cat's making noise out on my back porch, and I look, and there's, he's cornered a pigeon. And I pull him away from the pigeon, he just looked, and the pigeon's there, and the pigeon, I don't know if he injured the pigeon or not, probably not, but the pigeon was just sort of, um, sick and dazed and kind of old and not getting on too well so I I felt bad for it. I didn't know what to do I put it in the cat carrier and I kind of fed it water and tried to give it food for a few days and try to see what happened this old old pigeon is probably dying I don't even know and I was like why am I I'm this angry tough rock and roll kind of punk guy what am I taking care of a little pigeon for so vulnerable and what's the point, you know, but that's our heart. That's who we are. That's who we all are. All of us. We hide that or we don't know it should be there. I used to love, um, if you remember John Boehner, didn't necessarily love John Boehner, but what I loved about John Boehner, <laughs> what I loved about John Boehner was anytime there was some sort of emotional thing going on, like when Gabby Giffords was shot and she came back. He was a big softy. He would cry and he was a big softy. Underneath all that. That's who we all are. We just, especially all of us, we have that all underneath. That's what we share. And that's where beauty comes from. That's where love comes from. That's where stories about monsters breaking down other people's hearts and walls. That's where these that's where this comes from. It comes from this. And this is where all the all the good things, the vanguard is coming. This is the the new wave, you might say. If you look at Me Too, it's about people that are willing to open up to their experience. If you look at March for Our Lives, was that, that was hashtag uh, the kids marching against guns. Uh, 
they're open to their feelings. There's no wall. Black Lives Matter, many people opening up. And this is such a more powerful way of communicating. When you just yell and scream at somebody, they just see the anger, you know. I have a bike and if a person in a car almost kills me, if I yell at them, they just yell back. They don't pay any attention to the fact that they almost kill me. They just, they just see the anger. Now, if I came up to them nicely later and I said, you know, I, I was really frightened there. I thought I was going to die. They'd probably hear me a lot better. Probably be more effective communication. And it sounds sappy sometimes. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. It's being soft. But it does work. It just takes courage. And a little taste of the beauty. I know with the... Uh, the, the pigeon. Uh, finally, you know, I couldn't get the thing to get physically better. I th and I started to think about, well, I just need to take it someplace so it can die, I guess. I'd take it to a park, but I thought it would just get run over or eaten by an animal or something. And I didn't know what to do. And I'd been nursing it for about a week. So eventually, I, I was just, I think I took it downstairs and I was about ready to set it out. I don't know where I was even going to set it out. And I opened up the cage and I went back upstairs. And then when I came back down, it was gone. I looked in the yard, it wasn't there. This vulnerable thing that I thought couldn't possibly make it, somehow it gave me its gift and it flew away. Um, yeah, I was thinking about all the emotions you were talking about. Yeah, I said all the negative emotions. I think we all go through all those negative emotions, and we don't realize it because, I don't know, we get caught up in ourselves. But um, I think we all go through all of it, all together, all at once. And um, I was thinking about that love aspect of everything. Like, I always think about love all the time, usually. I was thinking about unconditional love, you know? And, um, and that's what I was thinking about. And I think that's the greatest emotion out of all of it. Hmm. Yeah? So, Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. I think that's that kind of sad, soft heart, unconditional love, Brett, maybe. Well, thank you, everybody. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Visit our website, ny.shambhala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Again, we have an upcoming uh, Shambhala Training Weekend 1, our introductory weekend of meditation, the weekend of May 4th. Email us at podcast at shambhalanyc.org. Your questions, comments, suggestions, whatever you got. If you live in a different city, there's probably a Shambhala Meditation Center near you. Look us up. But if you are in the New York City area, come say hi. Our weekly Dharma gathering is every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. You can hear these talks live and in person. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Later. <laughs>